Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And this this is our, our final start for the podcast. Uh, uh, can you say it like you meant it? Because I didn't feel it just then. Well, we, 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 I tried to be funny and I was incredibly inappropriate. Uh, two out of three starts. Uh, yeah. I past. think this is like fourth take, right? I think so. I think we're at the fourth. Yeah. Yeah. It's like old times again. It really is. It really is. Except, uh, well, never mind. I'm not even going to go there. I'm just, no, gonna, you I'm can bring it up. It won't hurt me. I no, deserve it. Go that on. You, that you, that literally last week, last, okay, we record on Wednesday, last Tuesday night, I text Peyton. I'm like, hey, I know you're on vacation. Are we still recording tomorrow? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can break away from the family. I can I can record. 10 o'clock comes around when we, our normal recording time, and I text him, I go, uh, so are we doing this? Nothing for 20 minutes. And finally, I text back, this is why I asked you the night before. <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. In my defense, I have none. No, I, I was in vacation and, and the night before when you asked me, I'm like, oh yeah. And then, and then in the back of my mind, I'm like, you're in va- vacation mode. You're going to forget. And I thought my pride stopped me from saying, Hey Pete, would you like hold my hand tomorrow and like, give me a little mommy reminder in the morning. And I couldn't do it. My ego wouldn't That's let me what do a it. Mommy remind- I gave you one anyway at 10 AM. No, but I needed one the next day. And I, I was so in, I was so relaxed, brother. I needed that vacation, but man, I I, I would have been bad. fine if you'd said, "Yeah, dude, I'm on vacation. Let's cancel." I would have been like, "That's cool." No, I was gonna do it. I was like, "Let's do it, man," because I didn't want to miss another week, you know. <laughs> but but I did. And then when I come back and I go, "Oh, dude, crap! Sorry, can we uh, can we uh, do this uh, now?" You're like, "No, I'm not in a podcast like, mood anymore." Dude. Not, I was not. I was like having flashbacks of nine and a half years of dealing with that, and I was like, no, 
No, I'm not. I'm not. Not in the mood. I'm not doing. I'd ask yet. who hurt you, but I know <laughs> it was you. It was, I learned from watching you. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. Oh, I do. I do. Oh man, that's so funny. Oh, all of our all of the millennials have no idea what we're talking about right there. They missed oh, out all those good commercials in the eighties and nineties. That's all I'm saying. Well, so I I got some funny stuff, man. I know we we open up with new smack talk now, but here here's the funny our our, our topic. By the way, today, I listened to Roberts. I listened to Robert's smack talk because they just had their first episode air. Yeah. And I was like, dude, it's about sports. This is so boring. <laughs> and I was literally in my head, I was thinking, I know so many guys are going to love listening to their smack talk. We promised our audience in the beginning, we will never tell you about sports. So uh, this might feel like a betrayal to some of you, but, you know, we blame them. And uh, yeah. they, well, we're they, still not conducting sports talk. No, nah, it's yeah. true. That's true. And what I was going to say is, you know, it's funny, man. Like I work for Through the Word. I have, and I can't talk about it, you know, because I, I represent them, but I get the funniest freaking complaints um, when, because I do contracting with them. I, 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 I have the best complaints coming at me all the time that are so funny. And what's more funny is the risk. I always give the appropriate response like, hey, I'm sorry, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, oh, man, the stuff in my head. And then I'll tell my team just for fun. Every time I like getting the complaints. Everybody loves Chris Langham. It's like everybody loves Raymond. There could be a TV show. Everybody loves Chris. Um, but I don't, I, I, he doesn't get the complaints like I do. And I totally get him. But anyways, I got a complaint from New Breed that I can talk about. Um, I was doing uh, an interview with Brian Sanders uh, from Underground. And at one point I said, holy crap, <laughs> during my interview. And so I had someone leave a comment on the YouTube page that said, uh, please don't be mad at me for asking this. I am being serious. But how can you say, be filled with the spirit and say, holy crap? And I was like, well, you know, you should probably read Galatians or no, sorry, Philippians, where Paul talks about, I count my, my righteousness as rubbish, because I think if you look it up in the Greek, it's pretty much the equivalent of the word crap in first century Greek. <laughs> and it was no, such, it's not the word crap. It's something it might be a little stronger spicier. vernacular. Um, might be a little spicy meatball. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's a one, a spicy meatball. But you know, uh, our, our our tracks are back. Uh self self-made uh lab, uh not lab tracks, but um, what do you got? Sound bites. Uh, Mamma oh, Mia! Yes. That that was the one. That was the one. But That's uh, spicy But it was funny because she actually uh she had a little fun with it, and that was that was kind of fun. And she was being kind when somebody says, "Hey, please don't get mad at me." You know that that that's all. But another one um took. I guess they put some of my preaching from Long Beach up. Um, they they put it almost like on a on a hidden site. So there's a record of it on new breed, but it's, it's there in the background, but we found some of the preaching from refuge long beach. And I mean, it was early refuge long beach and, uh, and somebody just quoted a scripture. Um, 
in the last days, they will come in like wolves and blah, blah, blah. And my response, and I know you're not supposed to respond, but to me, I just always think it's funny. So I just put on there, like when she said, they will come to you like wolves in sheep's clothing. And I, my response was, what about trolls? I thought that was pretty good. I like it. Yeah. So that's actually, you know, this when I was doing all the, the Bivo stuff for Bivo pastors, I I would get so bent out of shape because of, I mean, it was, I got the rudest comments, the rudest replies that I've gotten from any group I've ever worked with ever. And I mean, I work primarily with auto detailers, uh, real estate agents and pastors and pastors give me the rudest replies to all of my stuff. I mean, like I, I hated reading emails. Because they would just be like, you know, going off on me. And I'm like, dude, what, how is this even, how are you a pastor, let alone yeah. a human? Yeah. It was, it was, it was bad. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, you ought to kind of be suspicious of anyone who's just angry all the time at everybody and everything. Um, you know, here Pete comes out and he's like a businessman and he's like, Hey, I'm going to help you guys. A lot of you pastors are poor. My dad was, was a pastor. And, he was always having to work other jobs. And look, I God gave me this gift to to make money. And I want to help you guys out. I'm not charging you. Like, it was cheap. No, I was charging what, no, this, no, it was all the stuff I was charging them for. You were charging, but you were not charging, like, prices. I know the kind of money you were making with, like, secular clients. Well, that's the thing. is like, everybody gets bent out of shape because they got to pay for something. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> you went to seminary, right? Did they let you go for free? Right. Um, wait a and second. Then, you and work then, at a church. Do you work for free? Absolutely. No, so. Yeah. You're a minister. Let me get this straight. So, and you know, you and I, I mean, shoot for years, I was free on so many things as a minister, but that didn't mean I would turn around to somebody else who was getting, but Paul, I mean, that is in the Bible where Paul says, Hey, don't muzzle the ox while he treads the grain. Is it oxen God's concerned about? And that's when he's talking about ministry. If you're not willing to do it for free, maybe there's a problem, but you are not required or expected to do it for free. Um, God, even way back in the beginning, hardwired it in for the Levites. Hey, yeah. you're going to be taken care of. That is a biblical principle. So, Notice plus 10%, right? Yeah. It wasn't just like enough for you to live. It's like, hey, you know what? You can live and you can be a little bit comfortable too. <laughs> like that wasn't Oh, they, they had God. a made. Yeah, they had a yeah. made. Um, they 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 had a good gig going on for sure. I mean, they could have died if they uh, did the sacrifice wrong, but you know, the small little things, small little things, small little, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> hey, speaking speaking of uh, small little things, our podcast actually, uh, I got the metrics back. We're excited over at Team Leadership Podcast because we we keep growing and hitting kind of like banner months for us, and we had a really big number. Uh, for team leadership. And all of a sudden, uh, Brooks is reporting. Brooks works for New Breed. He's a content director. And he goes, you know, and I'd be excited about this if I didn't see what Church Planner did in its first week back. <laughs> He's like, he, they blew us out of the water. And I just, I was happy. I was proud. I, yeah, I have the reason for children. that. The re- there's, there's a very logical reason for that. I'm on Church Planner podcast, and I'm not on your leadership one. You know, we could yeah. complete each other's thoughts. We've been doing this. I knew that's exactly where this was going. 
People come to the podcast for Pete Mitchell for entertainment purposes only. I'll give you that. And they come to you for the content. They're always like, yeah, that Peyton guy, he's got some good stuff. But I know why they're really here. I know. Pete Mitchell's my pastor. That's why. (laughs) Remember Ruben used to always say that? Pete Mitchell's my pastor. And then when he got married and didn't ask me to do his service, I was a little bit offended by that. But, you know, whatever. Well, he said when he dies, he can do it. Well, what if I go first? I believe his exact words were over my dead body. And that's how I took that. Uh, what are we supposed to be talking about today anyway? A-Pest? <laughs> A-Pest. Uh, not Ruben Young. He is A-Pest for sure, but we're talking about the acronym. Actually, it's not an acronym. It's well, It would be an abbreviation, I suppose. For Apostle, it, it would be the worst acronym in the world, but it's Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher, taken from Ephesians 4. And it, it it was kind of amazing to me that we came right out the gate talking about that on like our third episode all those years ago. As we start to move through your book, Church Zero, I mean, you open it up in the very first paragraph. You start talking about Francis Chan and what he did. And we'll get to that in here in a second. And then he starts dropping the A word. And it ain't what you're thinking as you put in the book. Tell <laughs> Tell us, you know, what was what did Francis Chan do? And explain this this A word, this A bomb that he was dropping. You know, it's so funny because there's a book that really inspired me, written by a good friend of mine, um, David Allerton. And the book is called Ministry on the Move. And I put that book into Francis' hands that very day. Uh, because it was all about itinerating. And that means, um, moving around, traveling, um, kind of like Wesley did. You, Whitfield said, all the world is my pulpit. In other words, I don't have a church home. Just show me people and I will do my ministry there. And Paul was that. He was, he was a mobile, uh, minister. He was a guy on the move. And so when Francis Chan rolled through Wales, basically it was after, there, there it is. It was after his, um, his his famous announcement, it was shortly after, a couple months after he had announced that he was going to leave Cornerstone up in Simi Valley, uh, which was a thriving megachurch, uh, thousands of people. He and his wife had planted it. She worked full-time. He was uh, ministering full-time to try to build this thing. And it just took off. And um, Francis was very well known uh, through speaking. When his book was published, uh, it, it hit the bestseller because he had traveled out speaking so much uh, that his book just caught like wildfire because everybody knew him. What a gifted communicator he was. So for him to suddenly have kind of made it big, quote unquote, his first book uh, at that time had racked up $2.2 million dollars. Uh, you know, he had donated all of it to charity. He had another book on the Holy Spirit, which came out. Um, Erasing Hell was scheduled to come out, hadn't come out yet. And, um, and he was in, you know, really the prime and no one could, could believe that he had actually left, uh, this thriving megachurch. It made no sense. In fact, Mark Driscoll sat him down, uh, to interview him. And he, it was like you'd never seen two guys coming at it from completely different, uh, perspectives before. Mark was like, what's wrong with you? You know, what's going on? And, um, and Francis just very calmly just said, you know, I'm, 
I'm longing for uh, for something different. I just have this restlessness in me. And Driscoll was, you know, very lovingly challenging him and saying, well, do you think that's a personal thing? I mean, are you saying this and that? And just challenging him. But what, what Francis wanted to do was kind of go on a pilgrimage and ask God, what do you want me to do? And so he was going to China, to the underground church. He was going to Africa. He was just going to travel around to all the developing nations, visit underground churches, visit third world churches, and just see um, what is church meant to be? Because at the top of this mega church pyramid, he felt like he had missed it. And so when he was speaking to us in Wales, um, there was a, a, a big event that he was doing and they had asked him to, uh, meet with a bunch of the ministers in the city of Swansea. Um, all of us were part of, of promoting this event that he was doing. And, um, it was more like a call to revival for Christians than an outreach for non-Christians. Um, but we met for Q and A, uh, for about two hours with him. And one of the first things he said in answer to a question, it might've been my question. I can't remember, but he, he, he said, um, I'm just looking for something more, more. And then he used the word apostolic. And you could have heard a pin drop when he said that. Because hmm. in Wales, there's a denomination known as the Apostolic Church. We have it in America. It's not, it, it actually has a, quite a big history in Wales. Um, but you could have heard a pin drop because nobody in there was really understanding what he was saying. But I did. I mentioned that book earlier. I just read this book. And I had just come to the understanding that whatever Paul did, that's what I was called to, because I had also announced my resignation at my church. I had founded New Breed. I had planted a successful church planning church. I was the head of this network. I was training church planners. And I was telling guys that, look, I feel called to come back to America and write a book. And everybody else thought I was nuts. And so I felt on a parallel with Francis. So I told him, hey, at the meeting tonight, I got a book for you. And um, when I came to the meeting, it was completely packed, got there a little bit late, had a new baby. And uh, when I got there, um, there was one one seat open, and, and oddly enough, it was right next to Francis, so uh, up on the front row. So I sat there, handed him the book, and said, have fun with that. And uh, But anyways, the... Uh, the the whole term apostolic was something that, that that had been rattling around in my brain and definitely in his. And why do you refer to that as the A-bomb in the church? Why do you think that term uh, apostle, you know, kind of uh, wigs people out in the church? Yeah, you know, it's a pregnant word. It's got a lot of baggage attached to it. It's It's got some daddy issues that need to be worked through. Um it's been used and misused. Uh, really, it's been misused more than it's been used correctly. Um, you know, to quote Wayne Grudem, basically, he, he makes a statement in his systematic theology. Uh, he says, if, if by the word apostle, what you mean is church planter, um, then everyone should be able to agree with that. And that is, in fact, what I mean. But that here's the deal. Um, some of us have this calling where God hasn't called us to one place. He's called us to many places. In other words, he's called us to be foundation layers. As Paul said in the, in the scripture, I'm laying a foundation, now someone else is building on it. And I, I think that typically um, we have in ministry uh, in the West, 
we have this idea that that one size fits all uh, for ministry, that if you go into ministry, you're going to be a pastor. Well, Ephesians 4 lists these five different roles, and the first one is apostle. And so for me, I realized when, when I was planning churches and getting bored and then needing to go off and get back on the front lines, which is what we started this conversation out with today, I realized, that, hold on a second, it's not that there's something wrong with me, as Driscoll challenged uh, uh, Francis Chan to consider, it's that I have a different calling than other types of ministers. I am a foundation layer. They are the type that come and build on the foundation I've laid. So the word apostle literally means a sent out one. Um, it, it literally means missionary. So if you go to your back of your Bible and you, you go to the little concordance that's at the back of your Bible and you look up the term missionary, you won't find any reference. First off, it won't be listed there because there is no word missionary in the New Testament. And I always ask people, I say, now just imagine with me for a second. This is the most uh, proselytizing faith or the most evangelistic faith on the planet. Don't you think it's strange that the word missionary appears nowhere in your in your English translation? It's because when the translators translated uh, the word missionary, it, it was the word sent out. Um, apostle, apostolos, sent out one. Um, they chose to eliminate confusion so that people wouldn't think, oh, we still think that the 12 are running around today. Uh, they, they translate it to fellow workers or fellow laborers. So um, anyways, or sometimes servant. So really the word there is apostolos sent out one. And so that's what I am. I'm a guy that's on the move. I'm mobile. I'm a sent out one. I don't stay in one place for long because I'm wired for the short term. I'm not built for the long term. Does that make sense? You know, I want to, yeah, it does. I, I want to just read this uh, for everyone. So we're, we're all on the same page. This is from uh, Ephesians four. And uh, I'm going to start here in verse seven. Uh, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind, by doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it will build itself up in love. And see, Amen. to me, when I read that, it it seems to give the impression that this is an ongoing thing, right? It doesn't, to me, sound like this is a past tense thing. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then it goes into, yes. here's the reason why. So, yeah. 
and, what and is there's the actually argument? a time text. There's also a time text. It says, until we are built up in him. So, you know, it, 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 we haven't fully grown up into him who is the head. When he talks about him ascending, what he's saying is when Jesus, uh, finished his work on the cross, rose from the dead, um, promised the sending of the Holy Spirit and ascended into heaven, he didn't leave the work finished. In fact, he gave the disciples a directive, the apostles a directive, spread out, finish the job, take this message everywhere, make disciples, and do what I've done, finish my work. And so this whole idea that he has, he has equipped them, um, comes comes in where it says that we need to, if you look at that passage, the theme is that the body matures into the head, that Jesus, when he left, he left a Jesus-shaped hole, and that the church itself is going to fill that Jesus-shaped hole literally by um, the, uh, it's your mailman, isn't it? <laughs> no, unfortunately, it's not. <laughs> So, so literally the church is going to fill the void that Jesus left in the world. Kind of like when you remember when you're a kid and you're watching Bugs Bunny and Bugs Bunny like gets all shooken up and or Sylvester the cat or whatever Bugs Bunny, they run through the wall and they leave an imprint that looks like just like them, like a Bugs Bunny shaped hole, long bunny ears, you know, same shape as him. So, so here's the deal. Paul's kind of painting the picture. Look, when he ascended, he left. Uh, a Jesus shaped hole and the church needs to grow up into that outline needs to fill the frame of that outline that Jesus. So he says, until we come to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ, he's talking about a measure an outline, just like when you're a kid, you stand up against butcher paper on the wall and your teacher draw that outline around you. Um, if you had a two year old, you know, come and stand in that outline, you'd say, well, one day you'll grow up into this outline. That's what he's saying about the church. But, the way that the church grows and matures is each of these five roles are constantly pulling on the church. So <clears throat> it's not just the shepherd teacher. The evangelist needs to pull on the average believer to make him more evangelistic. The teacher needs to pull to make him more knowledgeable. The shepherd needs to pull to make him apply the truth of God to his everyday life because that's what shepherding's about. The apostle needs to pull on him to get him out on the front lines again. Okay. So, so my job as an apostolic leader or a church planner is not like the evangelist. The evangelist gets, uh, the, the, he goes out and he takes believers with him and he says, let's go evangelize. And it's more, more concerned with individuals, right? The apostle, however, is all about mobilizing the entire church to engage the front lines. So it's all about how the church is wired. It's about the DNA of the church. It's the church's approach. So case in point, let's say that I leave any church plan I'm a part of, and I just put one guy in in, in place there. Because Paul says, I laid a foundation, now someone else is building. If I put a teacher in there, guess what's going to happen to that church if it doesn't continually have an evangelist, a shepherd, a prophet, and an apostle as part of that leadership makes it pulls on it. Well, uh, the teacher will immediately make the church like a classroom <clears throat> because all they'll get is teaching and he'll be focused on teaching. So there's a team dynamic that needs to come in. I was just going to say that it's interesting because as I, uh, 
I remember very clearly, I had a conversation with a buddy of mine who's Mormon. And uh, for many years, I worked with a lot of Mormons. Uh, like, literally worked not, like, as a missionary, but in the same business. And, like, everyone around me was a Mormon. And my buddy and I were, were out at lunch this one day, and, and I, I asked him the question. I go, what was it about, you know, Mormonism that, that brought you to it? And he said, well, it was the whole idea and the concept of a living prophet that just kind of captivated his attention. And he goes, what do you think of that? And I remember <laughs> my response. My response was, well, you know, we don't need a living prophet. You know, we, let's, we have Jesus now. So, you know, to me, I'm like, why do we need prophets? Because I'm thinking Old Testament prophets. And I remember going home, and I don't know if it was Ephesians 4 or another part where I read, and it was like clear that it was saying, you know, there are prophets after Jesus, like this passage in Ephesians 4. And I remember thinking, not anything like, oh, well, maybe Mormonism is away, but I was like, oh, that kind of wigs me out a little bit. Like, yeah. the term prophet to me brings up Old Testament images of a prophet. And that actual term actually wigs me out more than the one apostle. I get why the term apostle wigs out, you know, a, a lot of people in the church. I, I, I get that. Yeah, but uh, I, I think the idea that it's more than just a pastor is very earth-shattering in a lot of ways for the church because of yes. how the church looks today in today's society. You know, as yes. I've mentioned before, growing up in a Christian home, having a dad that's a pastor, we never had an evangelist, we never had a prophet, we never had you know an apostle, we had a, a shepherd. Or, or a teacher. I'm not even sure you, you would have to explain to me what the difference is between shepherd and teacher, because I don't understand yeah. the difference. Yeah. Well, you know, let me let me back up first and just you, that is such a, a a mouthful of concepts, and it's it's great that you raise this because first off, the two that people are afraid of is apostle and prophet. Apostle, they're. Uh, afraid of because they think we're talking about the 12. And of course, Paul talks about himself as one born last of all, born out of due time. So Paul is the last of those 12 apostles. There were 12, one for each of the tribes of, of Ju uh, Israel <clears throat> that Jesus picked to minister to the Jews. And then Paul calls himself apostle to the Gentiles. And what Paul does is he starts reproducing himself in 32 guys, nine of whom, uh, we're told are apostolos. Paul uses the term for Timothy and he used the term for Titus, Apollos, Silvanus, Barnabas. So right away, we're getting closer to the fact that there are guys. I mean, it's just a fact that are called apostolos, but we know that they're, they don't have the special status as the 12. So Paul was one of the, one of the, uh, he, we know that, that his delegates or the guys he trained or reproduced himself as, they too were apostolos, but they were the second class of, uh, apostle. Like, for example, when Paul says, have I not seen the risen Lord? In Corinthians, he is actually putting himself in the category with the 12. He argues both in Galatians and Corinth, uh, to the Corinthians that he's on equal standing with uh, the 12. But nowhere do we see that argument for the guys that he trained under him. Of course, Timothy hadn't seen the risen Lord. Titus hadn't. Uh, I have, but that's because I, I died for 20 minutes, um, which you know, is very... I don't expect anyone to, to put any stock in that, but, but, uh, I, I've had an experience, but I'm not on the level of the 12. Um, 
Paul was, the 12 were. And other than that, we, we just have guys that are ordinary. And I think what makes people, uh, nervous is that anybody who claims that they're on equal status with the 12 has this like incredible superpower to be on the same, uh, level as writing scripture, um, being a foundation. Well, no, the fact is the foundation was already laid for the church. Um, but here's the deal. Uh, when, like, in other words, the scripture's already laid. It's already been laid down. So what, what we're talking about when we talk about, uh, an apostle is just a guy who on a micro level lays a foundation. So he lays a foundation as, as a church planter and gets everything started up. And then if, if you look in the book of Acts, what prophets do is they come around. Agabus is a prophet. In fact, Barnabas was called a prophet before he's referred to as an apostle. Um, that was his role, which means he had the gift of prophecy. So when we call someone a prophet, look, here's the deal. There are people who in our churches who have the gift of prophecy. We should not call them prophets. In fact, um, most people who uh, have the gift of prophecy... Um, you wouldn't put them on leadership. But when we're talking about these five roles, what we're talking about is five different flavors of leaders. So if I have a team of elders, I might have an apostolic elder. I might have a teaching elder. I might have a shepherd elder. I might have an evangelist elder. So these are different people on the makeup of your church's leadership team. And so when we talk about a prophet, um, you'd be looking at a guy who maybe has the gift of prophecy. Um, you know, he's just wired differently. He always wants to hear from God. He always wants to factor God into every, uh, decision, every, he's very in touch with the Holy Spirit. Um, he doesn't have any more, uh, uh, knowledge or authority than anyone else. He gets stuff wrong. Uh, he had, but he has a gift of prophecy. And so, um, when you look at the book of Acts, you see after Paul lays a foundation, often you see that prophets go and, and prophecy, by the way, um, is linked to encouragement. So it continually says in the book of Acts chapter 13, um, chapter 11, that they go around, uh, strengthening the church and encouraging it. And so prophets and apostles often work in tag teams. Um, they are, um, uh, closely linked at the hip. Uh, they are frontline. They're for young works, new works. And so both of them tend to have this kind of wanderlust that makes them want to go out on the front lines. Whereas when you start getting into the other three roles, um, they're not as radical as the first two. Um, hmm. They're actually a little bit more conservative. And, and the evangelist, he's kind of like in the middle. He's half radical, half conservative. He's kind of the, the linchpin, but... What we've done in the Western church is because we're not comfortable with the apostle or the prophet, um, we've simply written them out of existence. We just say, well, they're not for today. Never mind the fact that we can't find scriptural grounds for this. Although I know some people will say, oh, you know, we know in part prophesy in part, um, but when that which is perfect comes, well, when that which is perfect comes is, is speaking about love to begin with. And it also is linked to uh, the restoration of all things and the coming of Christ. So you can't use that argument as, well, we have the scripture now. We don't need uh, any of the gifts, and we certainly don't need these roles. So uh, 
you know, that, that, that whole deal right there. Um, that's kind of it in a nutshell. You know, it's, uh, it, to me, it's so different than how I grew up. You know, it, it is, it is so different, just the, the concept. But to me, it also makes so much sense. You know, one of the things that I mentioned, uh, in my review on Amazon of your book, uh, Church Zero, shameless plug there, there for you. Um, when I was growing up, my father was a pastor of a church that was a small church. I think when he left, it was at about 55 people, you know, maybe at its height was maybe 150 people. Um, and I don't think in, in any way, shape or form that my father was a, a bad pastor by, by any means. I, that's never been my take from my experience in, in watching him and, and things like that. But it, it to me makes so much sense why after so many years he was there. Um, and I think he took that when I was about four, uh, and left when, you know, I was probably in high school. So, you know, maybe like sophomore year in high school. Um, it, it makes so much sense why it never really reached the potential that it could have reached, especially in the area it was in because it was incomplete. There was an incomplete leadership team. You know, yeah, there weren't. I mean- uh, an evangelist. In fact, I, I remember distinctly there was this one argument that my mother got into with this other gal in the church. And the other gal was like, well, you know, if your husband was out there bringing people in, this church wouldn't be struggling. And, you know, and my mom's point was, well, he's supposed to be here, you know, helping the people who are in the church. You can't be out there getting, bringing them in. And, and it was like this huge blow up. And I, I never, you know, I'm a kid, you know, I'm, 10, 11, who knows how old. But I, I look back on that experience now with this new light of, well, gosh, that's why there's other roles. You know, that's, yeah. that's why there are other roles. Absolutely. You know, it, it's what we call the pastor only model. We have a pastor only model. In other words, if a guy wants to go into ministry and serve the Lord, we call him the pastor, which means shepherd. But the reality is most of the guys that we call pastor aren't shepherds at all. In fact, they're teachers. What they're really into is preaching and pulpit ministry. And so when you asked earlier, what's the difference between a pastor, um, or excuse me, a shepherd and a teacher? The, the, the teacher is a pulpiteer. He's uh, a preacher. He's a guy who loves to teach people and teach them new concepts and take them through the word. And so if, if a guy's passion is he can't wait to get into the pulpit, that's probably an indicator he's a teacher. But what about a shepherd? We all know um, churches where we've heard people say, our new pastor, he's not the teacher our old pastor was, but um, man, is he amazing with people. I mean, if one of the kids is graduating, he's there, he prays for them, gives them a gift. Um, if anyone has a problem, they can call him at two in the morning. He'll sit and he'll marriage counsel with you. He'll weep through your problems. He's, he's always over at people's homes talking through the family issues. It's like he's there whenever you need him. Well, that's a shepherd. And the church needs that. I can remember serving on a team where um, we were uh, in our church plant. We were we had made the move out of the Starbucks at Pillar. We had um, we were getting ready to um, go into uh, no. We had gone in. Sorry, we had gone into our community hall, 
And I was feeling like we needed to get back out there. So there was a trucker stop and I was saying, look, why don't we move to this truck stop? And what we can do is there's a big coffee shop inside this truck stop. I've gotten permission to lead a discussion group every Sunday morning there. And then we'll have afterglows at people's homes. So we won't be able to worship, obviously. That was a problem we had the Starbucks. But let's rethink. Let's think every, you know, completely go outside the box here. And one of the wives of uh, my co-pastor, Jeff, who's in the book, um, he's a prophetic type leader, although he would never use the term prophet for himself. Um, by, by the way, that's usually an indicator a guy is, uh, has a prophetic ministry. He's, he's very uncomfortable with people pointing to it. Prophets, by the way, as Alistair Begg said, they point the way, um, they, uh, they, they point at the, what is it? They point the way and then they get out of the way. Okay. So, um, they, they don't want to be the way. Are you the Christ? No, I'm not. He confessed. Um, there's another one coming, always pointing to Jesus, pointing away from himself. And that's key. That's a ministry of the prophets. Uh, they were always pointing to Jesus. But, but anyways, going back. So we're, I'm wanting to move us into this trucker stop and it's totally radical. And there's like a Burger King in this truck stop. So I'm like, you know, the kids can play in the Burger King, uh, play area and I'm getting super radical. We start out radical. I'm trying to make us even more radical and. Jeff's wife speaks up and says, Peyton, what about, and she starts mentioning all of the, the, the family issues that are going to be a problem with this. And it completely, uh, derailed my whole idea. Well, we found other ways to keep on the front lines. Um, but in a way that didn't, uh, completely destroy the families that we had picked up along the way. So uh, you need this balance. The the teacher needs uh, the evangelist, um, as you pointed out about your dad. Maybe your dad's teaching the church or he's a shepherd, but he's just not a gifted evangelist. An evangelist comes and takes that burden off him and says, you keep teaching those people. You keep shepherding those people because nobody can do it all. And boom, you know, the, the guy suddenly freed off. I write in Church Zero, I say, hey, guys, when you embrace this, uh, those of you that have been working in the pastor-only model, you're about to get your life back. You know, I, I cannot tell you how much more that makes sense to me and how, for me, that encourages me just to understand the difference between teacher and shepherd. Because, and I, I've mentioned this before, I think, on the podcast. I, and if I haven't, <laughs> here it is. I am by no means a shepherd person. Uh, that's, that is not my skill set. Like someone comes to me with a problem. It's like, suck it up, buttercup. You know, I mean, I'm not the guy that's going to sit there and cry with you and be like, Hey, we can work our way. <laughs> that's just not my skill set. Yeah. But I could definitely see myself as a teacher role. And I, I mentioned that before. I mean, Absolutely. for me getting up in front of a group, I'm, I, I have no problem with that. Some people are like deathly afraid of public speaking. I love it. Man, yeah. stick me in front of a group. I'm great. Put me one on one with someone. It's like, oh man, what am I supposed to do now? Like that's yeah, where don't... I'm uncomfortable. So yeah. hearing that distinction for me, it makes sense, and it's so freeing in a lot of ways. Because now it's like I look at that and going, okay, well, you know, I don't know that I'm called to church plant specifically, but if I were, I know that. I'm not the shepherd. I got to have a shepherd. I got, you know, God's got to provide that person to me because believe me, 
I'm not going to be the guy that's going to be sitting there crying with you at two in the morning. That's just, yeah. that's not how I'm wired. You know, and it, it should be said that, that uh, discipleship largely uh, is modeled by the shepherd. I mean, it's not just the touchy-feely guy that holds your hands and cries with you. He he also is a discipler. So if, if we look at Refuge Long Beach, right, um, we've got a team, and um, we've got guys I could just I mean, probably by the end of this, Pete, you could, you could just peg them what each of them are because they're all different. Everybody on our team is different. That's, that's part of what a church planner who's wired like the Ephesians 4 verse 11 model, you just start raising guys up with these different complementing gifts. But Mike Bonomo is definitely a shepherd. That is his role. And, and so you'll find that shepherds often uh, gravitate towards ministries like drug and alcohol. So Mike runs our refuge recovery ministry, and uh, you know, and he gets a huge chunk of people at this thing, man. Um, you know, and and that's what he does. He just loves to talk on the phone and to talk guys through their problems and their addictions. And you need that. Well, I, you know, I'm an you know excitement. What's so funny about that? Mike called me last week because he needed my help putting together a video for uh, Refuge Recovery. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not kidding, man. I left that phone call 25 minutes later going, man, I hope I never have to have another call with him because it like goes on forever. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Dude, just get yeah. to the point, you know? That's cuz he's the shepherd. It makes so so much sense when you put it in terms like that. It's like he's the shepherd. I get that. Yeah. Yeah, and you're and you're the opposite. You're like that's that's definitely not where I'm at, man, I'm, I'm not a shepherd. I'm not, you know, you respond very well to teachers. So, I mean, there's a reason, Pete, why you naturally navigated towards apologetics.com. That is, uh, that's part of the teacher, uh, category because the teacher is saying, Hey, you know, um, you guys need to know, you need to be able to give an answer. And so they've got this whole knowledge base, uh, Walter Martin, you know, um, the late great, you know, from uh, mm-hmm, Christian Research mm-hmm. Institute founder, he uh, he was a teacher, and that guy, it was kind of like Paul, you know, where you know Festus says, "Hey, your great your great learning is driving you mad, Paul." You know, uh, uh, they're just guys that have crazy intellects. We need guys like that on our leadership team, so we're not a bunch of dummies. Plus, what my theory is, and and I've shared this before. It's probably going to be my final thought. Maybe just something for people to, to just kind of camp out on and, and maybe tease them out till next week and, and get them thinking. But, but my theory and, and what I propose in Church Zero is that the enemy has done his best to scatter and separate the body of Christ. Um, <clears throat> he's drawn and quartered us. In other words, <clears throat> excuse me. He's divided us into, into, uh, different camps. So, uh, basically he's, he's taken all the teachers and he's put them in word-based churches, you know, particularly guys that go to gravitate towards teaching seminary or, uh, you know, they, they, maybe they go to the reform camp because they love theology and what have you. And then we got like your evangelists. So it's tend to be like your Arminians, you know, guys are just, let's just go reach the law so we don't care about theology, you know. Um, and then you got your, your prophets. They're, uh, they're basically, um, uh, they go to the Pentecostal charismatic circle, um, because there's no place for them in the word-based church. And then the apostles, well, they're sent out ones. They're missionaries. So they look around and go, well, I'm not a pastor. I want to go reach 
the lost people on the gospel frontiers. So they head off to the mission field. Um, and so you're, you're left kind of, you know, maybe the shepherds, I didn't mention them. Uh, maybe they go into counseling ministries, focus on the family type stuff, rehab, drug and alcohol, whatever they get their MA in, in, uh, marriage and family counseling, whatever it is. And so now you've got all these people, really, the church was meant to be a powerhouse of all of these things. And we were meant to come together so that the, the Pentecostal charismatic circle, had they had the balance, if God had brought us all together, the Pentecostal charismatic circle would not have gotten so far off the rails in certain areas. Because I'm refreshed by anyone who wants a greater uh, presence of God, the Holy Spirit wants to hear from the Lord. I have all the time in the world for that. I'm this, like, what they call a tweener, where I don't really have a camp anymore, because I am a makeup of all of these things. But the reality hmm. is... Um, the, 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 the Pentecostal charismatic movement desperately needed the influence of teachers. Because we're separate, what happens is the Hank Hanegraaffs on the teaching side throw rocks over at the Pentecostal charismatic, grateful that they're doing what they're doing. But the problem is then the, uh, Pentecostal charismatics look over across the divide and say, well, you guys don't have the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, you're like the guys in Acts chapter 19 that uh, were converts of Apollos. And Paul finds them and says, have you been baptized with the Spirit? And they say, we didn't even know there was such a thing as a Holy Spirit. And yet they're believers. So, you know, where we're at is we're in this place where the enemy, all he's done is taken these five roles and caused each of them to think my way is the right way and scattered us into all these different camps, all these different denominations, and in church planting... All of these roles come back together, and that's how I've seen it. That's what came out of Church Zero. God built a team for me that was a makeup of all of these different roles, and I'm telling you what, the churches that I plant now because of the makeup, they're nothing like the churches that either I came out of or any of my team members came out of. It's like the best of all of the movements out there rolled into one, and you basically check the weaknesses at the door and say, no thanks. That's what I think Christ intended. Um, my memory goes back, Pete, to when you and I were at Exponential. Uh, Church Zero had just come out. My daughter, Yesh. What's that? No, it was it was the one because you went to two, right? I don't know. I spoke at one. Well, no, you had you had me as a panelist at one, and there was like five people in the room, and I'm like, I'm getting paid. If there's five people in the room. <laughs> Not enough to even cover my flight, but man, I'm getting paid for this. Heck yeah. So it, it's funny because um, when when we did that, like we had that, um, remember we had that table and I was like harassing everyone that walked by. Hey, your wife called. She says oh, she needs support. Gosh. Oh my gosh. This yeah. stuff I was saying, hey, your mom called. You know, like I was so obnoxious. I think guys were looking at you going, what do you mean my wife called you? What's up? <laughs> she says she needs support and i'd hand him that card that said church plantings for girls and uh man we were just it was funny we had all these different cards but um but we were given out we had mr t at our table remember and people I remember people you would, had your dolls you would put your dolls on your table i had mr t doll that was the only doll i own to this day but yeah i treasure him mm-hmm. he's fallen to bits though all of his swag is, is coming oh no i do i have an obi-wan old man doll now like he's kind of middle age, like right where I'm transition Obi Wan, like in the desert, older Dude, than the I recent say, show. You and I are not middle aged. I know. Hey, I'm there's a doll saying. right behind you right now. You have the doll from uh, 
Yeah, I see. You didn't I keep think them I all in there. I out. keep them all in their their boxes, <laughs> and it, it bugs Luke so bad. He's like, "Why don't you take your your toys out?" And like, no, no, no. He stays in the box. That's he right. stays in the box. He stays in the box. What's in yes. the box? What's in the box? <laughs> Grand Moff Tarkin is in the box. <clears throat> well, you know, it's funny because, ironically, um, right now Alan Hirsch has been in town for. Like the last 10 days, he's staying with Bo Moffat, who's our advancement director. And uh, Bo's got a little apartment there. And uh, Alan's just chilling. And uh, we've done like two days of film. And today we'll do a bunch of podcasts. We're launching. He's launching a podcast. So I get to be a part of that. But we're, uh, we're, I, I have too many podcasts, Pete. I have too many stepchildren at the moment. Um, I couldn't have. I would just like to say that I was your first podcast love. Hey, without you, there would be no podcast love. I don't, I, there we were so no blue Peyton ocean. Jones. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I am Peyton Jones is the, the leader that Pete Mitchell made. He's the Peyton Pretty Jones much. maker. I'm I'm taking that. I'm taking that title. And just call yourself the Peyton Jones maker. <laughs> I can go up to someone else. Do you need to be a Peyton Jones? I'm made Peyton Jones what he is today. That's right. I'm the Peyton Jones maker. Pete Mitchell. Ask me by name. Or oh, just you go want to- a contract with Zondervan? Oh, you want a contract with David E. Cook or whatever that comes? <laughs> hey, I can do it for you because I did it for that guy over there. But it was funny because the the church is zero when that came out. I, I would tell people, that's like the stupid man's Alan Hirsch. You know, like uh, Alan Hirsch is the, the smart man's Peyton Jones, you know. And it's funny because Alan was so generous. Like here I'm this guy that, you know, when I wrote that, I had not read Forgotten Ways. In fact, I only discovered him when I was three chapters in. I was doing research, and a buddy of mine said, oh, you got to read this book. Let me, I'll bring it by. And it was Shaping of Things to Come, which had the A-Pest in there. But, I, you know, every time I've written a book, I've been like, man, I don't think I actually need, like, at some point, I'll have a crisis. I don't need to be writing this book. There's better books out there on this subject than what I can write. And... um So, Alan, it was funny because my book is just filled with pop culture, but I actually grew in my understanding of APES over the years. So, Church Zero actually needs to be updated and renewed. But I was just kind of amazed that we did APES early on. Um, But I have grown more passionate over the years about APES as my understanding of it grew. Like, for example, I'll, I'll drop, I'll kick down to you guys something that's coming out in a book I'm doing in the future. It's funny because I was chatting with Alan. He's like, I've never seen that. But I was like, hey, great commission. New Breed has this whole webinar about this. Great commission, APEST is in there, right? Like if I'm looking at Ephesians 4, which, you know, is Paul's like greatest ecclesiology, right? It's after his third missionary journey. He's at the top of his game. He's looking back, writing to Ephesians after he's, planted this amazing church planting catalytic hub out of it. He's writing back to them saying, hey, this is what we witnessed. Remember Jesus ascended? He kicked down five gifts, his five functions of ministry that he did all throughout the gospels. He was apostolic. He was prophetic. He was a shepherd. He was evangelistic. He was a teacher. That's what Jesus did for three and a half years. Now God is going to fill the world with Jesus. That's what church planting is. That's what ministry. It's letting Christ embody himself through the church. That's plan A. There is no plan B. It's through the church. And he says that God would fill all things through the church. The way he was going to accomplish this was kicking down the five functions of 
his ministry as a church leans into these and embodies these. Boom. So I'm reading this uh, about a year ago, and I'm like, you know, I'm always talking about APES. I hardwired it into plant church plantology, my textbook on planning. Cha-ching. Um, and I, and I, I, and here's a here's a cha-ching for Church Zero because I did not mention that earlier. Um, shameless plug. But what I was, I kind of was wondering, like, am I just on some hobby horse with APES? Like, am I? Am I just focused on it? Because, I mean, it's one chapter, right? It's Ephesians 4. Is it really that important? Is it really that integral? Yes, it is. I was I was filming Alan yesterday doing this talk. He goes, look, you can't have movement. There's no movement of the body of Christ where the apex isn't there. You need all five. Well, that that's kind of an important point, don't you think? But then... Uh, Brooks and I, uh, we will get these rad little brainstorms together. Um, he and I collaborate a lot. Um, and chat GPT. No, I'm teasing, but no, we, we will collaborate a ton and we'll sit there and these sessions are epic. But we, we, uh, we're looking at the Great Commission. I said, you know, APES, because I heard that once upon a time, APES from someone else. Um, where they said, I think they said, I've been playing with this. I don't remember who it was. They said, I've been playing with this idea. Is it in there? So I went and looked at it and said, Oh, it's for sure in there. Go apostolic into all the world. So that's, that's also part apostolic mission. Um, <clears throat> make disciples. Um, that's, uh, uh, obviously shepherd, um, baptizing them, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's evangelists. That's when they, they come to faith. Um, uh, teaching them to obey, teaching, hello, and I'll be with you until the ends of the earth. That's the ministry of the spirit, um, the prophetic. So I'm like, oh, that's totally hardwired into uh, the Great Commission. So the church's mission has APES represented. Um, then Acts 2.42, which is the church's golden age, we would say, where in the scripture do you see the church at its best? Acts 2.42. Um you can find that you you could actually search uh new breed excuse me to find this webinar where we do it we call it the overlay so remember when you're a kid and you had the world book encyclopedia and you'd always go to that one part that showed the anatomy and it had the skeleton and then it had that acetate that laid over it, and it had the muscle then it had the nervous system do you remember that and you could lay those pictures that are like clear and see through so i'm like man there's these acetate layers <laughs> where's your head going I'm just I'm not saying a thing. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Stop brain. Stop. Um the playful monkey is is climbing every branch right now. But uh here's here's the thing is those acetates going over top of each other. Uh Acts 242 and Ephesians. So it's the church's mission. The the church's uh what was it the church's best behaviors and the church's or the church's best function and then the church's gifting or purpose and I'm like man all like it's in there it's in all three of those massive I have a more succinct better way to put it I'm just not <laughs> not prepared for that but um but on that webinar we 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 line it up and lay it out and say hey this is how it is so it's pretty cool. What has changed? You said your opinions on APES have changed. What do you see has changed? 
Yeah. So one of the things that I, I would say, and, and just so you guys know, is church planner episode number three, if you do want to go back and listen, um, it, when I wrote church to zero and actually Alan's kind of reading through it, Alan Hirsch, cause he is the Einstein of APES. Um, he's going through it right now. I think he said he wrote like seven books on a, or maybe nine is what he said yesterday. Um, but he's written so many books on APAS. Um, but one of the things I didn't realize, in, and I really didn't arrive at this, I'm not just plugging another book, but Reaching the Unreached was where I document where I had a turning point on leadership. Because I used to think leadership was like you had to be this um, special person called by God. Yeah, yeah. I, I picked that apart in Plantology, Chiching. But I really was under this impression that you, APES was for leaders. You know, like if you read Church Zero, I postulate it's elders. That's why you have a plurality of elders, a team of elders in the New Testament. Neil Cole wrote his book, Primal Fire. Um, he postulated it was deacons. Um, I would say it's every Christian, which Alan's kind of helped me. I remember we were having a conversation once in Long Beach and he said, Hey, Peyton, you got to be careful. Cause when you talk about APES, you're just making it leaders. And I said, well, it is leaders. And he said, mm, look again, I think it's more than that because what are those leaders meant to do? They're meant to equip the body to do this. Everybody has this patent. And in fact, the reason you're meant to equip is every believer is meant to uh, embody Jesus. Like if you're apostolic and your shepherd is weak within you, don't you think the equipper that's ministering to you is pulling more of a shepherd out of you to make you more fully formed like Christ? That's what discipleship is. As you get more and more discipled, you will begin to represent Jesus more and more. It's not that you won't have a specialty, like I'll always be apostolic, but other things will develop in you. He he said, that's the goal. Christ fully formed in you. You will look more like the apest and a church the same, right? As these, as the apest functions grow and develop within a body, the church. And if that's true of a church, that's true of a movement. That's why he's saying there's no movement out there unless the apest is present. And if you take out of the church that apostolic, prophetic, and evangelistic like we do, so you only have the shepherd teacher, you know, it stops being a movement. Makes sense? Just like grape. Just like what? Grape. You went, <laughs> just like grape. Squish like grape. So, so that's the thing is, you know, in each of us, um, that APES is there. And Alan's been really good about like having a, an APES type test where you, you take this test and then it shows you kind of what you are. And, um, a lot of people think they are things they're not. Um, everybody wants to be an apostle, um, cause that's like the rock star, but it's so cool when you find someone who's like, no, oh, my function, like I, I'm planning with Bo Moffitt. He's a shepherd. He knows he's a shepherd. Like you open up the dictionary and his, his pictures there when it says shepherd, right? Shows him a little sheep. That's Bo Moffitt's picture in there. He is a shepherd tried and true, all about relationships, all about creating this deep community with people, um, caring for people. I suck at that. He's fantastic at it. And it's so fun to serve with him 
because he just brings this whole dynamic that churches I plant normally don't have. So, mm. but yeah, I, I, it's all of us. Interesting. Yeah. Like you, you're a total shepherd, right? Just care for people. And, you know, I have of, such you a big people. heart. I have such a big heart. <laughs> I, I honestly, I was at, I was at my, Pete, what's your weakness? What's your weakness, Pete? I care too um, much. In my, in my, I was gonna, I was so gonna do the job interview. What's my weakness? I'm too detail oriented. I just, uh, I gotta make sure it's done right and fast and uh, efficient. Uh, and I can't. Yeah, that's the yeah. other one. I care too much. I guess people say I, I just care too much. I'm too loyal. I'm much too loyal. <laughs> So what, what what happened the other night? Well, I was going to tell something. I was going to try and somehow ring it back into this conversation, but I couldn't. But I got to tell you what it was. So my son plays hockey. And I've told you that Texas is the new melting pot of America. Like every ethnicity is here. And uh, so we're we're in the, the locker room. Everyone's getting dressed for the game. And this dad's in there. I haven't seen before. And he's got this thick accent, and it's a Russian accent. And so it's really funny when you hear a Russian say y'all, because <laughs> right? it's like he's lived in Texas for who knows how long. But it's but you know how Russians talk? Like it's very, like it's very yeah. just, like that's. In that's Russia, in Russia, barbecue eat y'all. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just the way it is, right? Yeah. So um, our coach was gone for whatever reason. So he starts, he goes, I'm from Russia. I know these things. <laughs> like I play hockey. Right? <laughs> and so he's like gathering the kids around and he's like trying to coach them. Meanwhile, there's a, there's a, a backup coach who's supposed to be there. Who's just like letting them do whatever he does. Right. And um, so anyway, the kids go out there and our team gets murdered eight to zero. Right. So game's over. <laughs> game's over. We're in the locker room, the locker room. He's talking to his son. He's like, Eight zero, eight zero, and like he's rushing, right? So it's getting louder and louder. And he goes, "This is not a game." And then he turns around and he like looks at all the other kids in the room. He's like, eight zero, this is not a game." <laughs> and I'm like, keep in mind, you know, my son's eleven, right? Yeah. So one of the other dads goes, "Hey, I don't know where you're from, but these are kids. Don't be yelling at them." And it is just a game. And then another dad's like, yeah, it's just a game. And I'm sitting there going, dude, he's Russian. He's not yelling. That's just literally the way he talks, man. You see, like, you think we're having an argument. I think we're finally talking. What is that from? Jerry Maguire. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's the best. Says Rod Tidwell. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I was just, I was, to me, I was just like, dude, he's not yelling. He's just Russian. That's all it is. And, so and the guy's like, I'm not yelling. And I'm like, okay, so let, let's get the heck out of here. I don't, I don't, we're about ready to see World War III go down in our locker room oh between gosh. the Ruskies and the Americans. I'm like, let's just go. Let's just go. Hey, man, I don't know where y'all are from, but we don't yell at kids here. Oh, dude, <laughs> I was just, I was like, and Jamie and I the whole time were like, oh, dude, we got the Russian substitute coach. Maybe our kids will do better. Because I'm, I'm with like, the Russian guy, man. I'm like, yeah, you yelled those kids, man. You know, hurt he, he was a bunch yelling. of losers. He was just finally communicating with them. That's hey, all. It was. Hey, oranges are for closers. You don't get oranges after the game. Gatorade's for closers. <laughs> I'm with uh, them. We had it. We had a tournament this last weekend, 
where I think our worst game, we lost 23 to two or one. <laughs> like, I mean, our kids aren't that good, right? That's it's not their skill set. They're they're not great no. at hockey, clearly. But uh, like when you're losing that bad, you would think the kids would get all depressed. But after the fourth game, and it was like that for all four games, they were like totally fine afterwards. It's like whatever, <laughs> we're, we're we're we are so not good. It doesn't even bother us anymore. <laughs> and so I mean, that was just kind of the way, kind of the way the kids were. We're like, That's eh, funny. yeah, we're just not good. Pete, how did we screw up Smack Talk? Because I think I think today I started with Smack and then I dipped straight into. Uh... I led you into it. Okay. All right. Well, I and then we about, came back. Yeah, if I thought about the Russian story, I would have I would have told that one at the beginning. That's all right. Hey, this again. This is like old times. But hey, just to give you a little bit of listener whiplash again, let's bring it back to today. Pete, how do you uh, like with the APES? You know, post COVID. Um, what's happening in the church world right now. How do you see that still being relevant to like, do you see it as more relevant? I use less simplify apest.com. What's that? I use simplify apest.com. Is that where we, oh no, we, we were actually going back to the topic. Uh, uh, what is simplify apest.com? Come on, dude. Simplify church.com. You didn't like my joke. I was trying to bring it back into a commercial. Like we were ending the podcast. <laughs> I did wonder. I'm like, is this some secret project Pete's been working on with Joshua at Simplified Church? Simplifiedapest.com. Actually, What's not that? a bad domain name. I think I got to see if that's someone, available. Yeah, simplifiedapest.com is pretty good, but I'd feel kind of bad. You know, it's funny. I uh, that's the thing is I'm I'm forming this uh, kind of alliance with Alan Hirsch, where it's like he's like, hey, you're the church planning dude. I'm I'm the Apest guy, so we're kind of tending to send people. Across the back and forth, you know. So uh, yeah, anyway, to answer your lane, question, Miguel. just to answer your question, I I think I mean just as I look at the church today, and you know we've talked about in a, a few of the past episodes, like the main differences that I see coming from California to Texas, where you know Texas is a very uh, church going community for the most part. Again, I will say this is the new melting pot, and when you have all these other ethnicities and nationalities coming to this area, they don't see church the same way. Like we talked about one of the episodes, like I can't get my Indian neighbors to go to a church when that's not what they would do culturally. Like it just like, that would be very awkward to get them to go. So even besides all of that though, but as I look at it, I would just say that the, the, I think it has a huge impact in the division of the church because if you're, and we've talked about this, right? If you're more on the charismatic side, that seems to gravitate towards one side. And then if you're not on the charismatic side, you'd gravitate to another. And it's, it's, it's an incomplete picture. It's an incomplete way that the church should be. But I would say that's just as relevant today because you generally speaking, you tend to go where you're most comfortable, right? Yeah. So if you're saying that it applies to everybody in the church, I could see why it would be even a bigger divide. Why yeah. people would like, you know, want to go over to one side or the other because they feel more comfortable there. Yeah. And but yet it's you not need about that being tension. comfortable. Yeah. You need that tension. It's so not about being comfortable. I mean, you said that you go where you feel you most belong, which is probably why you went into prison ministry at one point. But, uh, 
Thank that you. That was a great joke. <laughs> that was a great, I had to pause for effect there. But no, it, it honestly. It took me a second to figure out what you were saying there. I'm like, <laughs> wait, wait, what's he saying? There were two versions of how I was going to say that, and I opted for the funny one. Hopefully it didn't lose its impact because actually where I started with that thought was, I remember when you, you know, we're on mission in Refuge Long Beach, and it's proof of concept of what we're talking about. The APES was functioning in that church, and part of the majority of the beginning, and I said this to the church, at the beginning of this church plant, the apostolic will wax extremely strong because we are planting, we are frontier planting. Like, (laughs) there's no, like, point of interest here. We're starting from scratch here. Um, and so the apostolic was really huge. Well, then for you, you know, part of that equipping was it, it awakened this apostolic thing in you. So all of a sudden you go, it's not like you weren't interacting with enough ex-cons on a Sunday because gosh, I mean, the, the number of people that had spent time inside that we were reaching, but you went off and applied for prison ministry. There was something apostolic that got awoke in you. Does that make sense? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know if I could say that though. I mean, I would say the main reason why I applied for prison ministry, and by the way, I'm trying to get into it here in Texas too. So is because of my buddy who went to prison. Yeah. And I was like, look, dude. And like, even when he would, cause we, we, uh, you know, emailed during his, his time in, and then mm-hmm. we went up to go visit him up in Oregon just because I had that verse ringing in my head, you know, when I was in jail, did you come visit me? I'm like, dude, I better, I better actually go do a little, go do a little visiting here. So I didn't get called out on that one. Um, but like, he would tell me about all the, the different, uh, I don't I religious people. I will just call them that religious people who came to the jails. And I'm like, dude, that's not Christian. <laughs> like, that's what, what's going on. Like, yeah. Like even his questions, he'd be like, he, we talked about, you know, what's Russian orthodoxy. Cause there were a bunch of Russians there who were, uh, you know, part of the Russian Orthodox Christian church. And I remember going to you going, Hey, you know, give me this, w- w- what is this stuff? And you're like explaining to me the differences between all these different, you know, different uh, Christian sex, if you will. Yeah. But but that was the real reason. It was it was I, I wouldn't Looking say it was at you, Steve. Though, <laughs> yeah, don't go there. It, it was literally it was just because of uh, having knowing someone who went in yeah. and just seeing the need, and then realizing, hey, you know, Jesus told us we got to you know we got to actually talk to these guys, look out for them. Because what's the American stance when you know someone who went to jail? Your viewpoint is, well, then you must have done something wrong, right? And I happen to know in his situation, I knew he was innocent. Like yeah. I knew the entire story yeah, from firsthand knowledge on his thing. And I was like, I know he's innocent. I know, yeah. but I know how everyone looks at him because he took a guilty plea. He, he mm. was forced to take, I mean, and I was just like, dude, how would we normally look at him as a society? We'd be like, oh, you're, you're an ex-con now. Right. I mean, he's still got to deal with that. Like even getting a job, it's like yeah. practically impossible. So sad, man. It is. Yeah, it's it's that's that's heartbreaking. So many people's lives are just ruined, and they and then if they never get exonerated, it's it's even more tough. But yeah, you know, it's funny, man. I I am uh, interestingly, you know, we're planning now, and I'm actually looking into prison ministry as well, looking at um doing that i probably mentioned this on another podcast going into the prison to do garden stuff i know it sounds weird you did you did and 
when I told Ruben, I was thinking about prison ministry and he goes, well, if you can't get accepted, he goes, I always know another way we can get (laughs) Get you in there. (laughs) We, it was so funny back in the day we stabbed Ruben and he'd be like, he would be telling us, and he kind of get this grin on his face and said, "Back, you know, I went to summer camp uh, for a long time. Yeah, you always call it summer camp. Summer camp. And uh, <laughs> that guy, seriously, Ruben has one of the best senses of humor. His his wife is pretty funny too. She married Barry, the co-host of uh, that, his that wife family. Married Barry? No, his sister. Oh, sorry, Barry. sorry. Whoops. Yeah, I did that wedding. If if you remember, so I do. Uh, yeah, you brought it up. I just thought I'd like it was the best picture in the world. Again. You know the picture I'm talking about. Oh, you're in the background. Oh, yeah. No, Barry and Melissa's wedding. Oh, heck yeah. I photobombed the crap you out of photobombed I, that one. And it's literally the best wedding picture I've ever seen. I'm standing 50 feet. I walked around the back of the building, stood out in the distance because they were doing their wedding photos. And I'm so far back. No one notices me. But I am perfectly, and I'm making the most bizarre, ridiculous face. It's this one. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, oh my gosh. And I, I asked him, did you guys frame that and put it like, is that one of the ones hanging on your wall? Because it should be. They said no. So anyways. that should be on your wall. Like, if I think I, I should have it up there. That one should be on your wall. <laughs> I think it should be one of my profile pictures on Facebook. That would be amazing. Oh, dude, I, how awesome would that be? You remember when uh, Ed Choi, he still does the wedding pastor oh, Ed stuff? Ed Choi, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be great if that were him. <laughs> that was like his promotional picture <laughs> as a wedding pastor. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I believe that was the last wedding I was asked to do. So, hey, <laughs> look, we should probably wrap up here. But, uh, but yeah, for me... I think post-COVID, it is more applicable because church change. God gave the church a massive opportunity to change. Um, All of us have been writing. God handed it to us. It's kind of like, and this is going to sound like an overreach when I say this, but it's kind of like in the early church where um, Peter's preaching to them. And if you look at his message of his sermon, the body of it in Acts chapter 2 is, God gave you the opportunity to receive the Messiah, and you killed him. You blew it. And then it says, and they were cut to the heart and said, men of, men of God, what should we do? And like that, that's right there. That's where the church needs to be. I feel like the church in the West was given this opportunity to break everything and start all over. Rip your leader leadership apart. Rip your gatherings apart. Rip your structures apart. Rip your, your mission, your approaches. We were given the great reset. We were given the ability. Sorry, I don't mean that in a political way. I mean, the church was given the ability to own nothing and be happy. No, I'm teasing. It, it was given the opportunity to actually have this amazing excuse to do everything as it knew it should be, to go back to the first century, and we blew it. The, the, at best, most guys learn how to Zoom their services and to set up chairs in the parking lot, but that was it. There was potential for so much more, and we just blew it. It's, I mean, a few years from now, COVID will be uh, like 9-11. Yeah, it changed everything, you know, in our mindset. 
but it didn't change the church. Yeah, it, it, it changed us and unsettled us. It, it, it made us, you know, it's like 9-11 might have changed some things at airport security. Like you can't take lotion on board now, but that's about all the church is going to be able to say. It puts its lotion in the basket. <laughs> okay, now how great would that be to be, what are they, TRA or what do you call them? The, TSA. The TSA agent. It puts the lotion in the basket. Oh, come on. You would be so fired for that. Well, yeah, they would be fired. We would be fired up. We would think they're the greatest TSA agent ever, oh but gosh. they would be fired really quick. TSA Hall of Fame and, and on the Church Planner Podcast. You've been listening to the Church Planner, Pack, Planner Podcast. Planner Podcast. Uh, <laughs> platypus. You've been listening to the Church Planner Platypus. <laughs> wow. Okay. Churchplannerplatypus.com. That's not taken. All right. Well, hey, guys. And uh, 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 let's bring that back. Yes, Apes. It's like God's platypus. It's like the uh, platypus of the uh, five functions of Jesus' ministry. That's that's where we well, see the, all this is intentional. It's, it's part duck. It's part uh, crocodile. It's part beaver. I mean, maybe it is God's platypus. Is I'm Apes. getting ready to go have breakfast with Alan Hirsch. I'm going to run that by him. Hey, can you incorporate a platypus into some of your future books? Let me see what he says about that. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah. He gets all his best ideas from me. Everybody knows it. That's the generals. All right. Well, hey, man, uh, this has been the Church Planner Podcast. And uh, Pete, if they want to connect with you, where can they go? What you got going on? Uh, missionbybusiness.com. All right. And uh, for me, uh, I do want to let you guys know, <clears throat> if you're not on the New Breed mailing list, you need to be because we're starting a church plantology cohort that's going to run for 10 weeks. I'm going to lead it personally. Love to have you in there. Um, we have uh, just head on over to newbreedtraining.com. Um, I wish I had the actual site to give you where you could register. This is why I need Brooks. And and and, and we said Pete, Pete would take care of that stuff, but now you see how bad I suck at that. So anyway, sign up for our mailing. Um, we're going to be doing that. But anyways, I want to make you aware of that. It's going to run for 10 weeks. Church Plantology cohort. It'll be running uh, May 4th, Star Wars Day, Pete. That's when it kicks off. And we're going to be running at 3.30 p.m. PST for all you Bivos out there. We changed up the time, and we'd love to Is have this episode going to even air before then? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going it's yeah. to air. Yeah. So... Anyways, okay. Well, guys, thanks for listening. Pete, sign us out, man, because somehow you got stuck doing that now, and I like it. If you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Ooh, you said it with my style. By the way, like dude, that reminds me. They screwed it up on Robert's podcast. They, they had some shit do it, and she said it wrong. How'd she, she say? She, put, she said... um, she took the last line and put it first. So if you want to reach the ones no one's reaching, you got to go where no one's going and doing. If you want to do what no one's doing, you got to go where no one's going and reach no one's reaching or something like that. But she said it backwards. And I was like, dude, dude, that's our line. That's our line. You ruined it. But it's not our line. See, now that's their line. Well, no, then he said it. Robert said it right at the end of this. It was like the intro. It was messed up. It's slightly satisfying, though, because we, we did promise we were going to pick on them. And I did want to say that we are a hard act to follow. And clearly, if they can't even get the slogan <laughs> right, you know, 
maybe they're just not making the cut. If that's all. If you're say. listening, you're like, dude, why are they bashing on their partners? A because we're us, and B because we promised them we would do so if they took the Wednesday show. Apparently, they will. I haven't listened to their show. I need to go find out what they're saying about us. They don't say anything about us. It's See, that's the greatest insult right there. <laughs> I don't even think about you. <laughs> all right, guys. Hey, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.